0: What do we have to do for your ankles, knees, and your your core or your back to keep you healthy and on the court? Because that's number one at yeah. every level, every level, because I don't care how good you are. If you're a high school kid and you're elite, but you can't stay on the court, it doesn't matter.
1: Hello and welcome to today's episode of The Basketball Strong Podcast. I'm Tim DeFrancesco, former LA Lakers strength and conditioning coach and doctor of physical therapy, and I'm here with my co-host, Emmy-nominated writer and author Phil White. This podcast is not just for basketball junkies. It's for anyone who loves to hear the human stories behind great people while learning the science behind preparing your body for the court and high performance. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to thank you for staying locked in and looking forward to a new episode every Wednesday. We'll keep them coming, but we are able to do that because of you. So... Keep sharing the episodes that hit you just right or the show in general with a friend or a family member who would love to listen. Hit the plus button on Apple Podcasts to subscribe. And if you haven't already, leave a review. Those are the things that help us to grow and continue to build our audience, which is so great to see because we see it growing every single week. But keep helping us. That's how we're all going to stay basketball strong. Today's guest is Mike Robertson. Mike is the co-founder of iFast, one of the top 10 gyms in America as named by Men's Health, and he's trained numerous elite basketball players from high school to the NBA. You can follow Mike on Instagram at Rob Train Systems. That's at R-O-B-T-R-A-I-N-S-Y-S-T-E-M-S. You can listen to him on the Physical Preparation Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts or go to www.robertsontrainingsystems.com. That's R-O-B-E-R-T-S-O-N, systemscom Let me say this, I've learned as much from Mike as I have from anyone in the field on how to apply strength and conditioning and physical preparation for better results. Let's get into the conversation. Mike I I can't wait to pick your brain on some more technical aspects of physical preparation for the game of basketball because yeah. you have worked with numerous elite college and pro basketball players over the years and and uh, I'm I'm super excited to kind of get into that side of it but I also have really enjoyed from afar and, and sometimes as we've had a chance to grab dinner and, and catch up on my travels through the NBA circuit when I would come to Indianapolis and, and we had a, a chance to connect there and, and do our thing even not only afar, but uh, even up close have had a chance to really enjoy how you have put together a unique, I would say unique approach of tried and true and some progressive methods but i I imagine that a lot of that philosophy and what you do sort of with a blindfold on and just just kind of do it at a high high level now um had to come through a journey had to come through some steps and some education and I'd like you to paint some picture a picture of that for us first, and then we can get into the nitty gritty,
0: yeah, man, you're absolutely right. It has been like this long and winding road to get <laughs> to get to where I'm at and Man, it started with the formal education, starting off at Ball State. Like, I knew I wanted to do something in this realm, but what it was, didn't totally know. Did the four-year undergrad piece. I always joke around in four years, thinking I'm going to be a personal trainer. I trained exactly zero people, which is kind of a problem. (laughs) You don't feel super confident coming out into the world and coaching when you've not done it. So, kicked the can down the curb, did two more years, did a master's degree. I felt like that started to really cement some things, but... Man, just getting in the gym in that internship at Ball State in between my undergrad and my master of science made such a huge impact. Just getting in there and starting to feel some things out, understanding, like, first of all, this is what I want to do. Like, that's a huge piece of all this. Right. Right. Really figuring out like this is my thing. But then going forward from there, I mean, such such a winding path. So I'm in D1. Figure I'm going to work with athletes forever. Well, my first job, I'm in a rehab center, right? For three years and everything, you know, every now and then you get that fun athlete. But then I got the 85 year old woman with chronic back pain. So you learn a different skill set being in that environment. And I got a lot of rehab and assessment and functional anatomy, things that I hadn't necessarily gotten up to that point in my journey. Get done there. Go to Indianapolis. Now I'm doing one-on-one in-home personal training. And so now we got a little bit healthier clients, but man, these people are affluent, right? They don't need me, but man, you learn different skill sets, right? You learn about communication. You learn about like just really good conversations and probing. Mm. How do you have conversations with people you have nothing in common with, right? Other than the fact that you're both living, breathing (laughs) human beings. These people are worth nine figures, you know, and I'm at their house at 6 a.m. talking to them about the weather. So, you know, I spent my time there. And then really just over time, like you alluded to, it's like you're always looking for, okay, what am I good at? Right. Don't lose sight of that. But what are my weaknesses? What are my rate limiters? And Mm. so I think that's one thing that I've always tried to do every step of the way is, okay, what's next? If the process is good, how do I make it better? And so whenever I have those Those glaring weaknesses, I try and target them and dive in, you know, whether it's speed or conditioning assessments, you know, you kind of figure those out and then you just take the time to really try and bring them up to an acceptable level. So that's kind of always been my process is, you know, long and winding journey. And then once you get a certain foundation, now it's like, okay, let's start plugging holes and let's make those little things a little bit better.
1: I love that, and that gives us a little bit of the the treetop view. Get into a little bit of the detail there. You had some pretty impressive mentors in at Ball State, I think, and yeah. some people that set some um, some philosophy toward you and and into what you do, and and also touch on the importance of the time you spent in the rehab facility there. To then, like you said, maybe the clientele there wasn't pro basketball players, but some things that really can help you and have helped you in applying to a totally different audience.
0: Yeah, man, I can't tell you how lucky I was to get into Ball State when I did. And people are like, first off, people are like, where the hell is Ball State? (laughs) <laughs> Why would I want to go there? Uh, small city or a small, small college in Muncie, Indiana. So I grew up there and I just happened to go there on a whim as, as an undergrad because my dad was a professor there and I got to go for free. And I definitely was not mature enough at 18 years old to want to go out into the world. Right. So it's like I'm out of the house, but I'm not too far away from the house. Yep. So, again, I do my four years there and I'm like, man, I really don't know what I want to do yet. I'm definitely not prepared to go out and get a job. So kind of as a fail safe, I applied to get into the master's program there. Mm. And lo and behold, oh, there's this guy named William Kramer. Oh, I think I've heard of him. Man, that guy was such an OG. Like he'd probably already been putting out research for like 30 years. So he's the head of the whole department. And then like, I don't want to do like X phys because I didn't really love that as much, but I love biomechanics. That's the way my brain is wired. Mm. And so I applied for the sports biomechanics program. I'm like, oh, They got some new Aussie guy coming in. I sounds good. Got a, got a nice accent. Robert Newton, (laughs) right? (laughs) It's like just two boss level guys running this program. And luckily I'm not kidding you, Tim. I think Dr. Newton was only there for the two years that I was there and he went back. No way. I'm not kidding. Like I couldn't have gotten any luckier. So, I mean, I just remember the first day, like I start to realize, oh wait, like, what did I get myself into? Because these dudes are high level, and high, <laughs> right. like massive. Well, Im- Before you even know what imposter syndrome is, you feel it, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, and, and real quick for anybody listening that doesn't know those two individuals within the field that that we are in—strength and conditioning, sports medicine, and and the entire umbrella—those those are like their their names are on textbooks. Let's just yeah. call it what it is.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, two of the highest level guys in the like strength power development world. Yeah. Are my professors like they're right. the people I report to every day? And I think it hit me very early because I was like, like, How does this work? So, do I? Sh- I mean, I know when I have class, when do I show up? And they're like, Yeah, you know, you want to get in 7 and we go till about 4 30 or five. Like, okay. So that's what I do the first week. And I kid you not, literally, I'm like, Well, what do you want me to do? So I don't know, right? I have no <laughs> feel for what's going on. And they're like, Oh, yeah, we got a uh, we got some MRIs. We need you to crop. So I literally spend my entire first week in a little like 10 by 10 foot room, no windows, cropping MRIs. And all it is, I'm looking <laughs> at like people's like quad muscles, right? Did they get bigger with resistance training or not? I don't remember the study. But the best part right. about all this is first weekend, and I just hear a story because I guess like downstairs, the ex Fiz people have like their own little meetings, and Dr. Kramer's like, hey, I got a new guy upstairs. He's there seven 30 to five every day. He's cropping MRIs. He's willing to do whatever it takes to get better. I'm like, yes, now I'm in no
1: so, way. Yes. So
0: Probably let that go to my head a little bit, but needless that's to That's a
1: good, that's a good feeling though. Yes. When, when somebody like that is saying, yes. you know, he's the, he's the gold standard already. He's, he's
0: putting the work in. So, so that made wow. me feel good. But man, they just shaped me, you know, it was such a great learning environment it started to teach me to not just blindly accept what people were saying. You know, you got to think back yeah. 20 years ago. It's like your your sources, trusted resources for strength development are Flex, Muscle and Fitness, Muscle Media 2000. And these guys are yeah. teaching me how to read research, how to write research, how to think about the, the scientific process. So, man, they just made such a positive impact on me early on and really just switched my brain into science mode versus just, you know, let's do stuff. So that was huge. And then you talked about moving to to Fort Wayne and taking that first rehab job. And mm-hmm. so I, I'm not kidding. At every stage of my life, I do these reflections, right? Like, where am I at? What am I good at? Now, this is comical. But when I left Ball State, I was powerlifting and I'd been with these guys. I'm like, oh, strength. Oh, yeah. I'm like a nine out of 10. Now, keep in mind, I'm 24 years old. Like, what do I really know about strength? But I rate yeah. myself as a nine. And I clearly remember the thing I ranked myself lowest on, that was rehab. And I gave myself a two out of 10. So I think there was that strong dose of karma involved in that whole process to put Maybe me in a rehab funny. facility. It's like, hey, pump the brakes, champ. Here's something you know nothing about. Yeah. <laughs> but man, a couple things came out of that that were really important and powerful. Number one was learning how to learn something outside of the school environment. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like when you're in school, it's like, learn this, learn this, learn this. Well, now I don't have those guidelines. I don't have that structure. So learning about what is low back pain? Why do people have low back pain? What are the different types? So start digging into a guy named Stu McGill who seemed to know a thing or two about lower backs. So I solid learned resource, right? Right. Pretty solid. <laughs> so, so I really dove in and I started learning how to learn about these different topics. But man, it was such a powerful experience for me because Tim, how many people do you have in your years that you've worked with that hasn't had one single orthopedic issue?
1: Nobody, as I always say, nobody is driving around with a brand new car off the lot. They're just None. not. So it, it just doesn't happen. So the the blank canvas that you're looking for when you're you're coming out of school, or you're, you're saying, I'm going to start writing programs. Good luck finding that. It's not yeah. coming. And I, I love that. And this is where I was hoping you would get to because uh, th- this is the Biggest thing that a person who wants to get into strength and conditioning can do for themselves is understand how to work with injury, insult, pathology, and what is going on with those tissues. How we can understand them, not only to just steer away from them and and sort of go hands off on them, but how do we challenge them and how do we do that and 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 keep going. So tell us how you, yeah. you sort of got that that real quick, that kind of fast yeah. and and furious uh, uh, doodle of knowledge of of how to do that.
0: I mean, yeah. I mean, you got to think my first week, I've probably got a half dozen people with back pain. I got one right. lady who, uh, like the most puffy arthritic knee I'd ever seen. She wants to like get prepared cause she's going to have a total knee. So, yep. I mean, there's no better way to learn than just being put in the throes of this, right? Like thrown in the fire. Right. Okay. Oh, you don't know about knees. Well you better learn because Sandy tomorrow has a knee that's the size of a grapefruit. So how yeah. are you gonna train her, right? You don't get to back squat and and walking lunge her like I thought you tr- did with everybody. Yeah. So, I mean, it really forced me to go in. I had to learn anatomy, right? Like better than I thought I knew it, I had to really dive in and understand anatomy. I had to understand assessments. How do you assess these people? Mm. Again, up to that point, I was like an ACSM level assessor. So mm. you can do a body comp, you can do a blood pressure, of course, you can do a blood pressure while they ride an exercise bike, because that's super important. Yeah. But now it's like orthopedically, neurologically, how do you assess people? How do you rule things out? So it made me learn about that. And most importantly, it taught me, how do you write programs for all sorts of different people? How do you work mm. around somebody that can't bend a knee? How do you work around somebody that can't load their spine? And so it just really opened my eyes to, wow, not everybody's a division one athlete. And even if they are, because we had D three athletes that came through there that had horrific back pain, they'd already already right. had disc herniations and that sort of thing. So it really opened my eyes to what's out there and how to keep people training, even though they might have stuff.
2: That's powerful. Yeah, thank you. That's a t shirt right. right there. Got stuff? Question mark. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We all do. Talk to us, man. We'll we'll find a way to train you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, take us into a little bit. So you mentioned the next stage earlier was um, some of this in-home one-on-one training, and and it sounds like it was another move again to Indianapolis. So take us into the next phase and maybe how that corresponded to your whatever out of 10 ratings, um, for for good (laughs) or for bad, and how it maybe moved those numbers up.
0: Yeah, you know, look, like Fort Wayne is the thriving metropolis that everybody might expect. It's not like an L.A. or a Miami, so... (laughs) My wife and I, at that time we just gotten married and we were like, look, like this is fine, but neither of us loved our jobs. Our families were closer to Indianapolis. All of our friends were in Indianapolis. So it just seemed like the next logical step. And so I got offered a job in home one-on-one, but like there was a lot of stuff going on in life, right? Like I'd really started to branch out into the online space, which sounds mm. funny now in 2023, but 2003, 2004, 2005, like the internet's starting to grow. So I started writing for T Nation, started writing for Elite FTS. I'd started creating fitness information products, like we called them back in the day. So I knew I loved this and I was passionate about this. And so I just thought, okay, how do I continue to do the things that I'm enjoying on the education side while getting a job that's closer to where I want to be? So one of the side benefits of doing the in-home stuff was a couple of the guys that I worked with were founders in this charter school. So small, single A high school. And they're like, we need a strength coach two hours a day, four days a week. I'm like, yes, I'm in. So now I'm a little bit closer to getting back to, back with these athletes. Right. And it just totally rejuvenated me. I'm like, man, I just love being around the young kids, teaching them. And again, uh, a single a charter high school athlete is a lot different than a division one athlete that I was working with at Ball State. Yeah. So it really teaches you a lot more about development. And maybe, hey, everybody at this level can squat, but you come back down. It's like, man, I just remember we were trying to teach our, uh, our boys basketball team how to squat one day. And, okay, this is how you back squat. You set the bar here. shoulder. You know, it's like 20 cues, and they're, like, you know, looking off wherever at their buddies, or they're, like, hitting each other behind me. Right. I'm like, and then you'd watch them actually do it, and it's like train wreck. Yeah. So <laughs> at, at no point in time has a goblet squat sounded more efficient and effective And so I'm like, hey, this Dan John guy, he's talking about this. Let's try this. And immediately everybody's squat looks better. So (laughs) I love it. You just, you learn these lessons, right? It's like, and again, people might roll their eyes now, but in 2000 to 2005, you either back squat 98% of the time, or you front squat 2%. Nobody's talking about the 30, 40, 50 different squat variations that we have access to now and that we use. So, man, it was just really interesting because I had those kids but the communication piece, man, I'm telling you, that was really important for me. And I always joke around, but there is no one minute longer in your life than the rest period. That's one minute with a client you have nothing in common with.
1: Yeah. <laughs> just like Crickets. staring
0: at each other, like looking at the clock. It's been like 15 <clears> seconds. You're like, all right, that's good enough. Let's go. You, right. know, you you find things. So like, I never drank wine, but one of these guys was super into wine. So we talk about that. Another guy owned like 20 apartment complexes. So we talk about real estate or other stuff. Like one gal was like a super high level. Uh, I can't even remember like a blood doc. Right. Mm, yeah. So we'd talk about, you know, all kinds of stuff about blood and blood disease. It's like you just learn about these people. Cause I'll tell you what, even if you have nothing in common, man, they are fascinating human beings If they got enough money to pay you for a one-on-one in their house, two, three, four times Always. a week. They're doing something at a high level. So Man, I just learned a lot about communication, about forging relationships, because not a lot in common, right? At at the base level, there's not a lot of things. We're not talking about sports as much or movies. They're not the same age. You know, they're all 30 to 40 years older than me. So you just find ways to create these connections and these bonds. And man, taught me a lot about that. And the human side of coaching that goes beyond just the X's and O's and being in the weight room together.
1: So critical. And now as you kind of paint the picture for us, it's it's so clear as to where your expertise shines now in being able to relate, connect, put it all together with people that are injured, uninjured, or working through and around stuff. But it is that sort of human connection skill set that you developed there that really allow you to work with, as you said, anybody. And, yeah. and that I think is is one of the biggest pieces. There's another part that uh, you, t- you touched on that. I think is so important. Um, I oftentimes have entry-level professionals in the field saying, okay, how do I get to that job that you had with the Lakers as the strength coach? Well, you know what? It starts with that charter school that Mike Robertson started with fourth, fifth, sixth graders, and none of them are ever going to play even varsity basketball. Yeah. And you, you just have to start working with athletic populations. It literally doesn't matter the level, the age, the stage, any of that stuff. You have to start somewhere. You have to develop your chops. You have to develop yeah. your reputation for, oh, they're doing a great job with those athletes. Doesn't matter if they're fourth, fifth, sixth graders, you yeah. know, eventually that turns into you're, you're training the freshman team. Eventually that turns into, oh, now you're working with the varsity squad and and who knows a local college in the area needs you to do some dynamic warm ups. But yeah. I think it's really important that you just start to look around you as an entry-level professional trying to figure out, okay, and, and, and if, if there's somebody listening, like, wait a minute, well, I can't wait till Mike gets to the part where he starts working with Indiana Pacers players or <laughs> yeah. people that are playing for Purdue or whatever, but yeah, look, we'll get to that. But the point is it started with those kids at whatever level it was, whatever sport it was just working with athletic populations and kind of getting your feet wet with that, with them at that, those developmental stages and really understanding that and then developing your reputation uh, if, if you agree.
0: Yeah. Well, let me just take this one step further. I think one of Please. the best things that happened to me and in turn I tried to instill in my interns is that you better be good coaching everybody. Yeah. Like, I don't care what level you want to get at. Like I got really good coaching some of the most unathletic humans you'll ever see. So when I go coach right. somebody that's in the NBA, boom, it's easy, right? Yeah, you you could have no training experience and write a program for a decent NBA athlete or NFL athlete. You're going to look like a great coach just because they're a great athlete, right? right. There's things you want to fix and clean up, but by and large, they move pretty well. You take somebody that can't walk and chew gum at the same time, and if you can teach them to squat and hinge and lunge and press with a certain level of competency, you will absolutely slay when you get to high levels.
1: No doubt. That's so well said. And that that's really where, where I look to, to see somebody's skill and where they're at is not how they're working with the high school varsity players that have great coordination and do all their, do all that stuff is what happens when you come in, work with Gen pop who never played a sport growing yeah. sport, growing up or whatever it is, or have come off of an injury and are, really, really scared and, and intimidated by the gym. And and how do you set that table for them? How do you coach them? How do you make them feel environment? How, how do you make them feel comfortable in that environment? What are your, your people skills? Those are the things that tell me if if you've got a real shot at this, uh, this profession.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I would always make interns because I'd get a lot of interns, especially early on, like, oh, I'm going to go work in the league, or I'm going to go work wherever I'm like, that's great. And so they'd be like, well, why, why do I have to coach this guy? He's like 65. And I'm like, yeah. If you, can, if you can make this guy deadlift well, you can make anybody deadlift well. So they hated it, yeah. but then when they were done, they were like, "Oh, oh, I get it now. Thank you for doing that." Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. And I would, I would take that one a step further and say the thing that I really like to find in a, a person is seeing that they get that that feeling of goosebumps. They get that joy from working with the person who's never touched a basketball will never touch a basketball as they do with working with the varsity athlete that walks in after after four PM when they get out of school. There's yep. not a change in their affect of, oh, they yes. kind of are going through the motions and during the day with Gen Pop, and then all of a sudden the varsity athletes walk in and they they light they light up. To me, yep. that's a problem because yeah. you you better find the same amount of joy and and have the same amount of enthusiasm and it better fill your cup the same way as when you work with either, either or.
0: Right. Well, the last thing I'll say on this is if you think there's not going to be ups and downs at some point working with high level athletes, then you got another thing coming too, right? right? Doesn't matter. High school, college pros, there's ups and downs to that too. So it's all fun and games early on. And there's a lot of clout behind working with so-and-so athlete, but man, there's, there's waves to that too. So just be prepared for that. And yeah, if you're constantly on this roller coaster of joy with different people, it's like you you have to bring it every day, regardless of client. And just know like, Hey, I can be the best person, best part of this person's day if I choose to do that. So That's right. you, gotta, you gotta be able to to bring it every day with every client.
1: That's right. So Mike, where does it then intersect with Bill Hartman and, and, and where do you, where does IFAST uh, sort of get born and, and, and take us into that chapter?
0: Yeah. So when I moved down to Indianapolis, Bill and I both had a mutual friend, Alan Cosgrove, or excuse me, Alan Cosgrove Uh, Mm -hmm. may have heard of him pretty sharp guy. (laughs) And uh, yeah, Alan sent us both an email and he's just like, Hey, you guys are both good friends of mine. You're in the same city now. You should totally connect. Mm. And Bill must've been on his computer faster than I was. So he sends me a a message and he says, Hey, uh, I see you're a power lifter. I do ART come over sometime and uh, I'll treat you a little bit and we'll hang out. So first off, I'm I'm a power lifter at this point in time, so every joint in my body is probably stiffer than it should be. And ART <laughs> is the gold standard. Like anybody that did high level ART, you're like, yes, I'm there. So right. I go over to Bill's house, and we start hanging out. And I mean, this guy just bombs on me for an hour. Right, I'm pretty sure I was in tears. He's on like my VL. He's all in my armpit, on my <laughs> subscap. My like, oh my god, make it stop! But I get off the table, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> like brand new, and. So I'm about to leave and and I'm just noticing like, dude, this guy is like killer music. Now your idea of killer music in mine might be different, but it's like Van Halen, Black Crows, all of these like eighties, nineties rock bands that I grew up loving. And I'm I just look at him like, yo, you like really are killing the music game here. And he's like, (laughs) you like this? Bill loves music. Like especially Van Halen. Van Halen's the first concert ever I went to. So next thing I know he's bombed on me for an hour. Next thing I know, it's three hours later. I've been there four hours because we're just sitting there. We start talking about music, all the people we know in the industry, like training philosophy. So I'm like, this is this guy's the best. And we just we were like each other's outlet because I'm doing the in-home stuff. And while it's great, it's consistent money, great people. It's not always the most intellectually stimulating thing. Yeah. Yeah. And what he's doing, he's in the clinic four days a week, he manages physical therapy clinics. And then he does like training out of his house on his off days. So we're each other's creative outlet. And we start talking and bouncing ideas off each other. And, you know, that turns into a product that turns into a seminar. And finally, you know, we have been hanging out for two and a half, three years together. And we look at each other. And I'm like, dude, I'm driving all over the greater Indianapolis area. You are working six days a week, either at a clinic or in your basement, why are we Why are we going to other people? They should be coming to us. So wow. literally we had this discussion in March of 2008. We started looking at properties in like April. The doors officially opened in August, but we were in the building in June. I mean, that's how fast it happened. When we decided this is happening and we're making moves, off we went. And we just knew that's like- incredible this, this is something we have to do together. Cause he'd always had that dream. I'd always had that dream. And it was like, man, we have to come together because there's no better time than right now to make this happen. So that's how it came together, man. It was, it was, it was fun. It was a whirlwind, but I mean, here we are, dude, we're like 14 and a half years out, almost 15 years now. So been pretty cool. Tip,
1: and tip of the cap. I, I love hearing the backstory. Yeah. yeah TV.
0: It, it was fun
2: as mike's talking there obviously you had a pivot point in your career you know with the lakers that a lot of people would consider this mound olympus experience and um mm-hmm. you know would, would have maybe either tried to stay with the lakers forever or stay in the league for as long as they could but but for you that you found a different super bowl and obviously td athletes edge was born out of this so as mike's talking there what does that bring up in you
1: yeah, same exact scenario where I think Bill and Mike came to it together. Where there's something in your your gut and and your heart that you can't really deny. Eventually, it just comes to the surface, and it's like it's almost like you don't have a lot of control when it's that <laughs> yeah. when it's that real and it's 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 that sort of deep in you. It, it eventually just takes over. And uh, similarly with me, just being able to find people and a team, in your case, Bill, and others that you could sort of share this with and create this vision with. And I certainly could spend the next hour going into <laughs> kind of the founder's story of what you went through as any small business and startup uh, group does when you have to sort of scale that cliff of, of getting something off the ground. But I do want to pivot now and shift into the thing that I've been really looking forward to here is just picking your brain from the expertise and, and more technical side of physical preparation for the game of basketball. Yeah. I, I'd love if you could kind of take us into the process that you go through when you sit down, write a program, and and put that through the sort of lens of specific to basketball. Um, you mentioned assessments earlier something that you got exposure to and you recognize holy cow it's not just take blood pressure when they're on a bike anymore (laughs) I, i gotta be able to look at what i'm seeing here and make sense of it so start us with the assessment and then walk us into some of the programming process that you look at when you're working with basketball athletes
0: man such a great question i love talking about this because the assessment process is something that's always fascinated me i love just trying to figure out okay what's really going on under the hood and it's crazy to think like this, but I still think there's a lot of practitioners out there that just either don't do this well or don't do it at all. It's and incredible. it's mind-blowing it's mind to think about that. So It
1: is scary. I'd like to
0: think it's pretty comprehensive at this point. You know, we do the initial Q&A up front, and I really want to just get an idea of of who is this young guy, young gal that I'm working with. What are their goals? Yep. What do they want to get out of the game of basketball? Because, yeah, it's one thing when you're working with somebody that's in the league or playing in Europe, But as I have started to take on more college and high school kids again, I just want to see, like, what, where do you think your limit is, right? What's your ceiling? What are your dreams? So we start by talking about that. We start by talking about, you know, the issues that they have going on, right, body-wise, movement-wise, because especially as they get older, they start to become more aware of it, right? Like you start to become more aware of your limitations or I can't get on a court without my knees hurting or, you know, feel my Achilles every morning when I wake up. So we start to dive into some of those subjective things and just building that rapport. But the actual assessment process is pretty extensive. And I'm looking at everything from your old school, like static posture photos and people, Mm -hmm. you know, are like, oh, why do you do that? It's a great way to show people like, hey, just so you know, this is what I'm seeing on you, right? Oh, your knee hurts. Well, look at this bend you have between your femur and your tibia. That's not the way that joint's supposed to look. So we do posture photos. I do a pretty comprehensive movement assessment. And again, I don't think it has to be like over the top crazy, but I want to see before I start writing a program, how do they squat? How do they lunge? What does their push up look like? Can they touch their toes? If so, how do they touch their toes? And then now we're even getting a little bit deeper into some of like the force plate stuff. Uh, And and for the younger kids, it's more about tracking and just getting a feel for what are these guys' baselines? uh, Because, most of them are not fully developed yet. So we can start to get, get some baseline metrics. And for our higher level guys, really I like the the dual force plate nature in the sense of, Hey man, Oh, you've got this right knee issue. Let's look at how that manifests every time you jump or Mm. every time you land. So I really like it for them because look, if you, I've said this for a long time and you may disagree because you spent more time there and worked with more NBA level athletes. But it's like, look, man, if you've got the juice to be in the NBA, I don't know yeah. how much more juice I'm going to give you in the gym, right? you know, unless you're like a 19, 20 year old kid that hasn't really been around the weight room yet. Hasn't right, fully right. developed. If you're working with somebody in their mid to late twenties, early, it's not a development game anymore. It's like a maintenance durability thing. Yeah. Can I keep you on the court? So I'm using it more from like this, like injury prevention, reduction, diagnostic piece, then how much more juice can I squeeze out of you? So no, I, that, I love that.
1: At. No, that is so important because I think and that is the way that I applied it. Uh I knew right away when I got around Kobe, Pau Gasol, Steve Nash, and Dwight Howard and and the likes that it wasn't about, oh, can I Help Dwight get a little higher for his next dunk contest. It wasn't wasn't about that. It was, can we keep him on the court because he's had a couple of back surgeries or one at that time and and this kind of thing. It's a durability thing. You use the word, and and that's the lens that um, I was using then and what we use at TD Athletes Edge to write every program that we write now. The beautiful part is if you do it right, the bigger, faster, stronger stuff will uh, happen. The performance piece will yep. translate. Uh, but if you don't build it on the foundation of of durability for what you make choices to put into your program, I think that's where people get sort of, and I can't wait to sort of tap in on this a little later with you intoxicated with the, get the vert jump up and uh, let's, let's pack the 15 pounds of muscle on that coach said, I got to get on so yep. that I can, you know, get that spot. But I, I want to. What are, what are, let's say somebody doesn't have force plate access. Uh, what are some of the things that body areas that you like to really zero in on for basketball athletes? And then after answering that, talk us through some of the common, maybe limitations or challenges that you see longer, taller athletes have when you do these assessments that come out with either basketball, volleyball players that that tend to be in that sort of audience.
0: Yep. Yep. Well, I think we'd probably agree on the big three of like Achilles calf type issues, like ankles in general, ankles, knees, yeah. and then back, you know, like if yeah. you're looking at those three, those are always going to be the most problematic. The first two, cause they're running all the time. The third is because man, a lot of times they've got like this long collection of body parts that's all strung right. out. And, and you know, I always would explain it to them like this, like, look, look at how long your legs are. Look at how short your torso is. So that little Mm -hmm. torso and core has to stabilize these long, like think about what Kevin Durant has to control with his limb You know, like it's crazy to think at how that guy moves and how elite he moves. Uh, But I'm always looking at those areas. Right. And so in the back of my mind, regardless of what they say they have going on, regardless of what I find elsewhere in their assessment, those are three target areas. I'm always thinking like, how do we bulletproof these areas? Love right. That. What What do we have to do for your ankles, knees and your your core or your back to keep you healthy and on the court? Because that's number one at yeah. every level, every level, because I don't care how good you are. If you're a high school kid and you're elite, but you can't stay on the court, it doesn't matter. So I'm always thinking about ankles, knees, lower back. And then what was the second part of the question? Sorry. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, that this this is perfect. I mean, the the second part is, is just more along the lines of. um well let's let's sort of bring it over this way is so tell us about that get a little bit specific for us if you could on like if ankles, ankle instability and ankle injury is such a a big thing in basketball. Uh, Can you talk us through some of your programming choices and some of the things you like to put in and almost put into the drinking water with many basketball athletes, obviously case by case basis that goes without saying that this is why we're doing assessments is to tease out the outliers and the extremes. But um, there's some stuff that needs to be in the drinking water. I think,
0: Yes. Agreed. And I just think of it as like the 80% of stuff, yeah. it's going to kind of find its way into everybody's program. So yes. big things, number one, I don't know if you agree with me on this or not, but man, I love getting them out of their shoes pretty mm, early so on good. and like rebuilding their feet, man. Yeah. You want to see some ugly feet, look Ooh. at basketball players with their shoes and socks off. And I mean, You've
2: you got, <laughs> you got it
0: all right. You've got like the crazy pronated foot. You've got, you know, uh, the bunions, you've got the toe grippers, you got them all. So I like to just get them out of their, their shoes and just getting some sensation through their feet again. And it doesn't have to be the whole session, right? It's not yeah. like I'm asking him to go do crazy box jumps barefoot, but Hey, when we warm up, we're going to do that barefoot. Uh, when we drag this sled early on, right? I just want to get you to feel your heels again, feel what mm-hmm. it's like for your foot to go through a uh, heel rocker, you know, ankle rocker, toe rocker, just work back through those positions. Uh, A lot of isolated stuff, actually, which is something I kind of shifted my gears on. Because for a long time, I think you just think, oh, it'll just kind of like sorts itself out in the mix. And then, you know, you start to see these increases in Achilles issues and Achilles tendinopathy. It's like, ah, we should probably spend some time there. So every basketball player I work with is generally going to do seated calf raise, they're going to do a standing calf raise with the knees bent and then a standing calf raise with the knee straight. And we just kind of rotate through those. So, you know, barefoot training, uh, a really like well-rounded calf, gastroc soleus type yep. program. And then the third piece is really making them honest about like tempos and range of motion. Mm-hmm. I know that's not sexy, but man, the calf and the Achilles love plyometric actions, right? Yes. And that's great. That's great. But can we slow it down and own it? And can we work through full ranges with slow controlled tempos, because I think that's kind of like a lost or like missing link. Right. In a lot of these programs, they're getting plenty of plyometric actions. Every time you step on a court, you're probably getting a couple thousand. (laughs) Right. how, How can we get the other end of that spectrum and like slow things down take the stretch shortening cycle out of it, build some of those connective tissues. So that's kind of where I go in on those areas. This
1: is so good. I couldn't uh, agree more. And Phil knows this. We've had, we've done plenty of pieces on sort of the lower leg for the jump land athlete and, and how you prepare it for durability. Uh, And, and I just think, and we had my uh, former assistant strength coach with the Lakers, Sean light on, and he told a story Mm -hmm. about the time he had to stop me and ask me, you know, Tim, you got to tell me why we're doing all these isolated calf exercises. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't come up doing this stuff. I, he, you know, he's the person who came up through like many of us did through, okay, it's gotta be total body. It's gotta be big movements. It's gotta be functional. It's yeah. we're, we're getting away from the bodybuilder work. We, we, we don't want to be headed towards it with athletes, that kind of thing. But right. I say, I say, yep. <laughs> and Sean tells the story. He's like, look, when I witnessed the the best player in the NBA on our team go down with an Achilles rupture, I realized we've got to get something in the drinking water here, yeah. and and yeah. to address and and the bottom line is I we it's it's not complicated. Look at the load bearing areas of the sport that bear the load of the sport and load those areas. Yeah. And, and like you said, isolated, it's like, oh, it's almost like you had to like I, I cringe when I, you know, I have to apologize for saying I, I do isolated work be, because of how it's sort of been the it's pendulum has swung. Right. The pendulum it, like has taboo. swung. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's like, what? Mike, Tim DeFrancesco, Mike Robertson, they do isolated calf work. That's that's crazy. Uh, but it, it it you have to, you have to load those areas because like you said, how many times are you going to sort of go? through an audit of your off-season programs and realize in season half your athletes are having achilles tendinopathies or whatever it is before you realize look the the sort of big global dynamic warm-ups and squats and deadlifts and everything has its place but that's not going to help those areas
0: absolutely and and or prepare them i should say it's not going to prepare them and i think part of this is just being a student of the game So the longer you do this, the longer you hang around, look, man, I remember being in a gym, maybe not 40 years ago, but I remember being in a gym 30 some years ago when I was a teenager. And man, it was weird to see somebody like squatting, you know, it was the like Cybex (laughs) machines, right? It's like leg extension, leg curl, leg press, you know, you could just go down and literally just do a circuit like that. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, you and I came up in a little bit different era, right? We were moving out of that to functional training and we squat and we hinge and That's great. But you can see the swings in the pendulum. And that's where, like, for me, I'm always trying to like, Hey, if these are the two ends, where's the middle? Cause that's probably where the best training is going to happen. I'm always trying to settle there. Took me a little while to come back to it, but it's like, man, whether it's calves, whether it's knees, there's a role for some of this isolated training and just bringing up these weak links and making sure those targeted tissues are really overloaded and well-developed
1: no doubt and and Phil I know you've got some some uh, great points you want to jump in with and and I'm pumped for that just give me one more thing cuz I this is important <laughs> I think um I I I've also recently relatively recently in in my sort of just been around enough basketball athletes and seen enough of the things go wrong and realized how many things I as I do my own audits of my programming how how many gaps I had realized yeah. like look from the ankle standpoint, we we also have to be looking at that of 360 degrees of the ankle. So, are you training anterior tibialis, that meaty shin muscle on the front of your yep. shin that some people get shin splints with and can't figure it out, and how important that is, and and other muscles in and around uh, on these sides and 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 lateral medial sides of inside outside of the gastrocnemius and the soleus, the big calf yep. muscles that we we can sort of see and and picture, um, and and we can also know where that ropey Achilles tendon is, but um, you really have to think about all those. So doing things like wall supported toe raises uh, in the opposing action of a heel raise uh, is, is, you know, more and more sort of becoming a popular exercise and, and seen as how important that is in sort of that deceleration aspect of, of the landings and the sprint stop starts and, and that kind of thing. And I think that, uh, you know, stuff that certainly you're incorporating in as well. So nothing I'm, I'm sure to sort of revolutionary, revolutionizing to, to your program, but is something that I began to really incorporate a lot more because, um, and again, it's like, it looks like an isolated, you know, what are we doing here type of a, of a thing. And, yep. and it's, it's so, it's so impactful because those muscles are responsible for an awful lot of the load from that Part of the body, all the way up. There's a lot of weight yeah. coming down yeah. onto those muscles and what they're trying to do. So I, I think that's a really, really key thing that I've recently started to sort of shift to.
0: Yeah, and I love the idea of the 3D aspect too. So yeah, my guy Ed Sumner was coming off an Achilles tear, and so you know I was lucky to work with him for a long time towards Achilles. Luckily, he came back and. I I was a part of his rehab process coming out of that. And, you know, you talk about something that's going to make you more like acutely aware of everything you put into a program. And all of a sudden you're like, no, like, okay, jumping rope. There's there's a role for that. Right. You know, we get away from some of these things the longer we do it. Okay, those extensive plyos uh, coming back to little things like people would love to clown on an agility ladder. Right. And sometimes, rightfully so, if you're laying it down and thinking this is like the greatest creation for speed, maybe not. But man, just think about all the different like foot and ankle actions you can create with different different agility ladder drills. So now it's like, okay, you know, his foot's underneath him. Now his foot's out wide and it's got to go through these different foot actions. Now we're scissoring like all these different motions and activities. And if you combine that with some of the barefoot stuff, man, you're really just building a more healthy and resilient foot ankle complex as a whole. So I love that idea of like really 3d training for that area.
1: No, that that's so good. Yeah, it's, it's so true. And I think this is where the kind of like you talked about, get, get somewhere in the middle, right? Because what, what we're talking about right now is not to say you need to spend an hour with their, their shoes off and, and doing, you know, different movements on uh, toe raises and heel raises. You need little doses regularly, and then you also got to lift some heavy stuff, and we're going to get to that later.
0: Yeah, agreed.
2: Yeah, so moving up the chain a little bit, the the second area you identified was was knees, and obviously, you know, a lot of load going through there, (laughs) (laughs) and and, and not only load, but, you know, to talk about 3D, this is a lot of lateral movement, and we continue to see some of the best-prepared athletes in the world go down, whether it's on the football field – Basketball court, or just in everyday life, how many folks do you know in your family that have either had knee surgery or yep. torn ACL from that coed softball league? Finally <laughs> getting them, or whatever it is. So, talk yep. to us a little bit about you know warning signs there. And again, like you did with feet, feet ankle, calf complex. Um,
0: what are some preventative things you do to bulletproof the knee? Yeah, man, I think this is such a great topic. Something that I've been fascinated in. I had a knee surgery in two thousand five myself, so. Mm. Kind of like having an athlete suffer a major injury when you deal with an injury or a surgery yourself, you're way more apt to like, listen and like, okay, what do I need to know here? (laughs) So yeah, when it comes to the knees, I mean, I think we can still talk about this like integrated slash isolated approach. And so I think you said it very eloquently, Tim. One thing I don't want people to walk away from is that I just do a whole bunch of like leg extensions and leg curls (laughs) uh, and like, like seated cap raises, right? Cause soleus is important kind of for decelerating that shin. So there's absolutely the isolated stuff in there, but I'm a big believer in, Hey, I want my athletes to move well. yeah, And I think the weight room affords us two opportunities, right? It allows us to really coach them up and coach their movement, which they may not get anywhere else. And on the flip side of that, it it allows us to load them and expose them to some forces, but in a far more controlled environment than they'd get on a on a basketball court. So, I mean, the big things that are in every program, like I'm trying to get every every athlete to squat, right? And, and the squat may be different. It could be a goblet squat, a two kettlebells, safety bar. But I try and find a squatting variation that I can load. Mm-hmm. Almost always going to have some form of a split squat or lunge in there. I think that's very, very important. And I think just as I'm kind of fleshing this out for you guys, one thing that I think is so critical for these athletes is if you take posture photos or you really pay attention to what these guys look like from the side, they are pitched so far forward. Their center Mm. of gravity is so dumped forward and that drives a lot of the calf stuff, a lot of the knee stuff. So a lot of the things that we're doing in the gym early on are teaching them to shift their center of gravity back to better manage their body weight. So that's why, that's why so many of those like heels elevated variations are back in vogue, front foot elevated split squats. I mean, we all know anytime you put a load in front of the body, like a goblet or two kettlebell or front squat, magically the squat looks better, right? Well, yeah, you shift the center of gravity back. You allow some of those back muscles to shut off. You stack their system a little bit more effectively and now they can change levels. So I'm always trying to teach them like, Hey, yeah, we're squatting to improve your vertical or yeah, we're doing it to strengthen your body. But man, this is going to help you. Not every basketball player loves to hear this, but man, it's going to help you play better defense, right? Right, You're you're going to change levels. You're going to be able to move side to side better. Uh, It's going to help your first step, depending on the athlete, you might have to sell it (laughs) more on the offensive or defensive side of the ball. But you start to explain to them, look, all these things that are first and foremost, helping your knees and keeping you healthy like you said way way at the start of the show all these things that are making you more efficient and healthy and durable if done well should improve your performance as well
1: right no that's so good and i i think it, to to kind of piggyback off of that i always think of with basketball players especially the sort of the anterior knee pain the yep patellar tendinopathies as the, yep. the, the books would say, or the scientists would say, yep. <laughs> but, um, but it's just that anterior cranky knee on the ropey tendon off of yep. the down below your, your kneecap. And, uh, before it hits that big bony bump and in, in on, on your shin and and also sometimes above the kneecap in the quad tendon, yep. uh, there's so many, there's so much repetition of the, the jumps and the landings that happen through those tendons. And those tendons job is really to make you springy in those moments and decelerate and absorb and produce and trans translate and and conduct forces through that that are constantly happening in every practice and game and and skill session and so yep. if you're not preparing those and somebody's telling you hey yeah well i'm i'm sorry you have that put put a little strap on there stretch it out ice oh my it gosh, um yes. you're 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 really just you're just chasing your tail because those tendons you have to sort of look at them as they 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 like to be loaded they they need to be they need to be stiff they need it they need need to be stiff and springy and they don't get stiff and springy by stretching them and resting them they actually go the opposite way and and so uh, this is where i love where this conversation is going because if i if I do an audit on a program that's written for a basketball player and I see they're not doing calf raises and they're not doing something like a wall sit, you mentioned tempos and ISOs earlier, isometric holds. I'm, I'm uh, concerned. I, I mean, I, that is, these are the types of things that need to be in the drinking water. We need to be loading these tendons in a couple different ways, not just with eccentrics, not just with, um with isometrics, but also with sort of springy jumpy type exercises, which we can get into shortly. But yeah. this is where, and you talk about, I had this conversation with Mike Boyle, Phil and I did on, on the pod a couple episodes back about, yeah, not every basketball player because they're so long is a really really clean looking squat. Has has yeah. a clean, clean looking squat, but any of them can do a wall sit to start, right? Absolutely. And and so there's many ways to load these tendons. Um, and like you said, those, all these variations that we now have at our disposal on any given website, anybody's Instagram page now to figure out which squat variation can I try today and until I find one that works, those didn't exist a long time ago, but, um, don't always think about dynamic, I guess would be my point either, because there's some isometric loading ways of, of getting time under tension for these tendons that, um, is just one way to load them, but it is a great way to load them.
0: Yeah. And I'll go a step further, Tim, because this is your show and I want people to like you. And I'm OK. Being the <laughs> <bad> guy. <laughs> but look, if you're listening to this and you want to work in basketball, you better learn about knees and answer yeah. your knee pain. Like it's, it's it's part of the game and it's not a small part. It's one of That's the biggest right. like last week I had four fairly high level basketball player star. It was busy, right? Like four kids, three days, three were division one players. And the the fourth kid is probably going to play division one. Every single one of them had anterior knee pain. Most of them on both sides. And sometimes it would change, yeah. right? They're like, Oh, I jumped off my right leg for a long time. Right. Hurt. So now I jump off my left and now it, it hurts. Like this is par for the course. Yep. You're going to deal with it and you got to figure out ways you got to figure out strategies. And it's such a great point. Like too often we assume like, I'll oh, just throw a barbell on their back and just have them squat heavy. Well, okay, maybe, but a lot of times, like you alluded to, the things that make them great basketball players preclude them from being great in the gym. That's right. So you're going to have to throw a lot of things at them, elevate their heels, give them an anterior load, coach the crap out of them to teach them how to actually move more efficiently and more effectively. Cause you know, it's just because they're great and they look smooth on a basketball court doesn't mean they're effective in a weight room. So it's a huge opportunity for you to create a bond, create a relationship, and make them a better basketball player along the line.
2: So good. Absolutely. So moving a bit further up the chain, then you mentioned back, low back as the, the third kind of trouble spot you see a lot at basketball yes. levels. All, all Can you tell us a little bit why that is? And again, what are some things you do to bulletproof that area?
0: Yeah. I mean, and and this is where you can see some diversity in body shapes. You'll have the person that's just like a ramrod, straight spine, like top to bottom. You'll see the other one that's got like the huge lordosis and huge kyphosis. So like universally, some things that I found that are helpful are number one, trying to teach them to keep their center of gravity back. Mm. So for me, the further you get pushed forward, like you could, if you're sitting at home, you could try this, like stand up shift all your weight to your toes and feel what happens at your lower back, right? Intuitively your lower back is going to arch and it's going to engage to try and keep you from falling over. Well, that's how every one of your high level basketball players feels 24 seven.
1: Right. <laughs> so,
0: so teaching them to shift back and own their center of gravity with the right exercises in the weight room would be a big, a big one. Second, I'm a big believer in just teaching them to create different shapes. And so this is kind of like a Bill Hartman philosophy, but man, those basic activities like a cat camel or cat cow, uh, teaching them to bend and extend through segmentally through their spine. Uh, we call it another one is called a rock and roll. It doesn't sound sexy or exciting, but imagine laying on your back, kind of balling yourself up into the tallest or into the smallest ball that you can and just rolling forward and backward. Mm. And a lot of times people are like, Oh, why am I doing this? And depending on the athlete, most of the time I'll just say, Oh, we're training your abs and they'll leave me alone. (laughs) But, But really what I'm trying to do is get them to feel their spine. Right. And, and if you're in this really rigid, extended posture all the time, and now I'm teaching you to flex and move backwards. Now we've created some different shapes. We've created some variability in your system. So you're not just in this like rigid push forward posture all the time. So we'll start with like mobility type activities like those. We'll do the activities in the weight room that shift their center of gravity back. And then if I am going to do some isolated stuff and I've done this basically forever is we're going to do isolated core activities Mm. and we're going to teach you, hey, can you really engage your core? Can you own those really long levers? Because back in the day, I say that a lot, because I'm feeling pretty old these days. But you know, we, it was like crunches and sit ups and all those activities. Yes. And along the way, we started to realize, hey, those are great. But what's probably more important is learning to control your pelvis and control your lumbar spine and own those positions. So if we can stabilize those, man, you're going to be more efficient, more effective, your back's going to feel better, your hips are going to feel better, it's going to take stress off your knees. So that's something that Again, basically, since I've been doing this, it's been in there in some way, shape or form that isolated core work, because the final piece here is just think about the length of the levers, right? Let's talk about a guy you and I shared, Roy Hibbert. Yeah. How long was that dude's legs? <laughs> I
1: mean, right? Seven
0: two, freakish long legs. I could tell you some stories about him. He's, he's a funny guy, but man,
1: <laughs> part short, two. Tor-
0: short, yeah, short, relative torso, really long legs. Think about the levers. That's right. He has to own and control. So what may be a very simple core exercise to somebody that's five, six, five, seven, five, eight, you put it on somebody that's seven, two. It's a whole different ballgame. So exactly. the core training and the leverage, uh, like owning those levers was vitally important for my guys to try and keep them healthy.
1: Yeah. Good. Can you get a little bit more specific? You mentioned some of the sort of rolling rock and roll action yep. that you talked about there, but yep. um, I'm, I'm picturing and I'm, I'm curious, I have no idea. I'm picturing maybe some bear crawl variations that you might be putting yeah. into or certain things like that. Um, I, I, this is a, a thing that I see and I, I, I get it because uh, yes i'm on i'm on instagram too we most of us are and and yes. so you you start to see these these pretty cool looking exercises out there and it's really easy easier than it ever was in some ways, it's wonderful because you get inspiration. You say, wow, I never thought about that application. I I know the person that needs that exact thing, right? I just thought of something from that because I saw that and I wouldn't have in, in our days coming up through. We didn't have Instagram to right. get a, a, a little microscope into people's weight rooms and what they were doing. But in other ways, it, it could be a slippery slope because you can just not realize sort of the steps that it took to get the person in that video to that, or you realize you apply it to somebody that you fast forwarded the process on. And, and so take us into kind of some of the, the one, two, threes, ABCs, the one Oh ones of some of the core work that you love to do with basketball athletes.
0: Dude. Great question. And, and I think if you are the person that needs like 50 different, random activities. This is not going to be the answer for you because, <laughs> because a lot of my stuff comes down to maybe five or six themes, Yeah, but a lot of progression and regression built into it based on the person you're working with. Right. So, you know, dead bugs, I think I already mentioned that, but I mean, mm. we've got a pretty extensive dead bug progression from somebody that has like zero core control. to somebody that is just like freakishly strong, stable. So dead bugs is a big kind of cloth or or one of my big rocks in there. I love reverse crunch variations. So Mm. it kind of plays on that rock and roll theme, but teaching people to really own and control some of those eccentric positions. So take us
1: through a reverse crunch setup real quick. So we can kind of picture it.
0: Yep. So let's start easiest level, right? Yep. You're on a bench, you're laying on your back, you grab the back of the bench. Got it. From here, bring your heels to your butt, right? So you're trying to ball yourself up as tight as you can. Bring your knees up to your elbows, inhale. So you're kind of reversing that lumbar curve. You're trying to flex the spine. Then as you extend the legs back out, you're gonna exhale, but you gotta make sure that lower back stays glued to the bench the entire time. Got it. So now, it doesn't sound that hard, right? but go do that like eight to 10 times with really sound technique. And especially if you got really long levers, long legs, it's gonna be increased exponentially, right? Yeah. So, you know, you got variations like that. You can take that into the old Bruce Lee dragon flag exercise. So, you know, if you got a small guard, right? And the, the basic exercises are too easy, give them something like that. A very easy way to progress that activity is okay. No more holding onto the bench where you dictate how much, you know, kind of strength and stability you get. Now hold a kettlebell. Start with like right. a 16-kilo kettlebell and then drop to a 12. So the less assistance you have, now the more work your core's ah. got to do. So reverse crunches are a great one.
1: Well, like, I, I love that, and I can't wait to have you keep going. But I, I yeah. the, the the cool thing with that is <laughs> we're getting – everybody's getting what they want. The, the, yep. the athlete feels the burn in their six-pack. Yes. And yes. then we as the clinician get that segmental spine action and control that yeah. it's teaching on the flip side of the six pack that that we want. And and yes. like you talked about earlier, what you don't realize is these uh, tall athletes are walking around in extension chest puffed out ribs flared up and and their spine is in that extension all the time when we sort of help to give them some segmental movement and motion of the spine that it is meant to have it could be really really healthy for that in addition to the burning six-pack that they think (laughs) that's for
0: absolutely well and that's that's why like sometimes I'll just give those little white lies of why am I doing this? Oh, it's abs. You know, <laughs> <Right>. it's like <laughs> it kind of it buys me a little bit of wiggle room sometimes. Hundred percent You know, you don't always start with like a hundred percent great rapport with somebody. Like the first couple of sessions, they're like feeling you out. Is this guy know what he's doing? Why is he making me do this awkward activity? So you yeah. know, then as they stick around, they start to see results, then you can like dive into some of the nuance and why it's valuable. But yeah, man, so I'm, I'm big on yeah. the win win right? Like Uh, they feel like they're getting something and I'm getting something.
1: It's huge. Sorry. I derailed your thoughts there. Any, anything else on the, the sort of one, two threes, ABCs and, and one Oh ones on core for you.
0: Yeah. I mean, reverse crunches would be like a big theme. Yeah. Dead bugs would be a big theme. Uh, your different plank variations, big theme. I love bear crawls. And, yeah. and we'll start from like a static bear crawl to, you know, forward bear crawls, lateral bear crawls, backwards bear crawls, like such a great core activity. And you look at, I mean, getting these people to dynamically control their core. That's right. Right. Like that can be really challenging. And again, it's with intent. I think this is a big thing because a lot of times people see bear crawl and they think it's like a race. Right. <laughs> no, man, I really. I And I'll say reps equal breaths. That's Ooh. like one of my little hacks. So if you're listening at home and you want to make this harder, don't make it like three by five and they're just like done after three seconds, like make them own each breath and each That's step, good. right? So it's like, take it, take another step breath cycle. Yeah. So now they're really owning these postures and these positions. So yeah, bear crawls would be a big one. You know, I still love the old school Paloff press. Sure. Uh, I'm trying to think leg lowering variations I think yep. are another, great one. I mean, we talk about building not only like strength, uh, but like some motion and some resilience, you know, extensibility through like the calf and the lower leg too, because it can get pretty gnarly, you know, like by the time you put most of these pieces together, it's like a lot of the same themes, yeah. but it's just those like micro progressions that allow you to really just progressively, it's like strength training, right? You, over time you progressively overload, Somebody right to get the desired result. Well, core training is no different. I don't just have like a thousand core exercises and I'm throwing darts at the wall in my office <laughs> right. trying to pick one. It's like, no, like these are the things that they need. And then yeah. over the course of these next three or four months in their off season, it's my job to progressively overload them. But it's generally not a loading thing. It's a leverage based thing.
1: Mm. I, I think that's so important to point out, and I am glad that you sort of dialed in a little bit further on the bear crawl. I put the ball in the tee for you a little bit on purpose because it's it's one that I think is so – um, easy to see well that looks like somebody's that something that they have them do in boot camps and you know 30 day challenges and this isn't we're training a basketball athletes here they don't need right. to be crawling around on the ground Right. but like you talked about there's so much gold in there because the core and the hips and the arms are all having to work and organize together all uh, all at once and simultaneously and in some level of synchronization but the other sneaky thing that I think is, is sometimes overlooked on, on what we're getting out of a bear crawl and is sometimes even i've had to when when i've had to say to somebody why they're going 20 yards down on their hands and knees uh and and cursing me and saying what the hell do you have me doing here and why is um from the shoulders and the long bones of the arms for basketball athletes who get up off the ground they have to come down and they don't always come down on their feet they often come down on wrists arms oh, yeah and, and and shoulders and we see those injuries from time to time where you have um i think it was gary payton jr last playoffs who who lost some time there and yeah. and they kind of that foosh mechanism fall on outstretched hand mechanism where look you can't prevent all of them and when they're way up above the rim and they're coming down and they're a big individual some of them right. you're just gonna That's lose physics. the battle <laughs> you're gonna That's lose physics, the battle man but you can prepare those long bones because we forget about that. We're also we're not just talking about sort of muscles and tendons here. We're also loading bones and yeah. bony breakdown and injury is a huge issue in the game of basketball, um, not only at the lower body, but also at the upper body. So that's that's one reason why I, I kind of obsess over the bear crawl for
0: basketball athletes. I love it. And I just had this like flashback. I think it was like 1998. I'm at ball state and I had to take like one athletic training class. And the answer to like any upper body question was falling on an outstretched arm. Right. Like anything, right? Wrist, elbow, shoulder. I could put that and I was going to get at least partial credit for that because it's almost universal. Right. And you're like, this is comical, but it's really true. Boosh, like falling, baby. You just don't know. Like, what are you going to hurt? I don't know, but it's probably going to hurt something.
1: Either wrist, elbow, shoulder—it's going up somewhere on yeah. that on that chain. Yep. So good. Yep. It's just so fascinating to kind of get into your brain of of um, of how you look at it. It's it's uh, man. I'm just I'm taking a lot of notes right now.
0: I love it, man. I love it. This is fun. And you guys are so good, good at this. You should start a podcast. <laughs> you know what,
1: <laughs> Phil? What? Let's let's talk about that. We need, we need yeah. To know.
2: You know, we need to bounce that around a little bit. <laughs> um, another area. Obviously, we talked about. The strength side but as uh, TD's job title was for a while and you know you've done a little bit of this yourself we've got to see we've got to a- a conditioning element and uh I know in your early days of playing the game yourself your your basketball coach's idea of conditioning was forcing you and maybe all the basketball players to r- run cross country <laughs> got to get yes. some distance in son oh you know so yeah maybe maybe take us inside a little bit of that old school philosophy and then you know how that has certainly progressed in your own practice and what you would do for the in quote
0: see the conditioning part of uh, yeah. basketball prep these days oh man yeah, literally the worst year of basketball of my entire life. Um, <laughs> so, so to give you guys an idea, like I love basketball. I grew up playing basketball. Uh, I didn't have kids near me because I grew up in the country. So like basketball was my outlet. You know, it's cold, bored and didn't have Netflix, Xbox, uh, you know, online gaming. It's like, hey, man, you're bored. Go out and get some buckets. So I, I love, love the that. game. And I'm willing to do whatever, right? Like literally you tell me what to do and I will do it. And there wasn't a lot of fall sports at my school. This is important because really it was tennis and that was like one sport I never really played. Mm. So our coach that takes over my junior year says, well, if you don't play a fall sport, you are mandated to run cross country if you want to play basketball. Cause everybody's going to be in shape. Okay? <laughs> now keep in mind, I'm like a 16 year old kid. And I love basketball and my basketball coach is saying run. So I'm like, how far, what do I right. got to do? Right. Like, so literally I put everything into this and I'm, I mean, look at me, dude. Like I'm not an aerobic athlete. Never <laughs> was, never will be. Uh, if I'm chasing a ball, it's a little bit better, but I mean, running, like I hated yeah. running, but man, I ran, I ran a lot. And, and I clearly remember a, a couple times, like we would do like one mile repeats it was one of the worst conditioning cross country sessions of my life. Cause it's like Ugh. three quarters of a mile. And then there's like this, like 45 degree concrete slope you have to run up and then you finish. So we do five of those. Right. And then like every <laughs> smart basketball player, Oh, at the end of that have dinner. Oh, we had open gym that night. So, you know, I'm in the gym. I'm not going to miss open gym. Absolutely. To finish this story off as far as cross country goes. I mean, literally I'm putting everything into this. I'd never broken 20 minutes and At the end of the year, the coach comes to me and he says, Hey, look, one, you've gotten a lot better. Number two, we don't have a seventh runner for this race. Will you run for us? Like, timed in a meet. Now, I'd run all the meets, but I'm like, Yeah, sure. I mean, I got to run it anyways, right? So I haven't broken 20 minutes the entire year. I run 1910. No, no, I'm not kidding. I smashed it. And now, keep (laughs) in mind, anybody that really runs is like, Yo, what's wrong with this guy? But (laughs) for me, break
1: break 20, man, that's no joke.
0: Yeah, by like 50 seconds. So I'm like on cloud nine. I'm like, yes, I'm going to crush this basketball season. Now, <laughs> in case you're unaware and you haven't done these two opposing activities, running for economy is a lot different than playing a game of basketball. Turns out. But it turns out it's not the same. And literally until about February. So season starts, like preseason starts in October, games November, December, January. It took me until February to get my legs right. I'm not kidding. It was the worst year of basketball in my life because I was totally and inappropriately conditioned wow. to play the sport. Wow. And it sucked. It sucked because that's like my thing, right? Right. Right. Uh- so, yeah, I learned a lot about it's a different
1: animal. The sport's a different animal. And I, yeah. I, I find that I, I can't wait where you're going to wait to hear where you're going to go with this, because I just find that it's one of two things. It's either the camp of thinking of, well, they don't need to do conditioning because they get it in when they play or we got to go run that three miler a couple times a week and get out there and, and pound the pavement. And right. and <laughs> I can't wait to have you take yeah. us where, where we need to go on this.
0: Yeah okay, if I want to get better at basketball, right, I better be doing like explosive actions, right? right? Fast, stop, start, sprint, cut, take a break, go do it again. So, I mean, immediately before even being a coach, I learned that lesson and I learned, okay, what, what looks like the sport? And then how do we kind of incorporate that into our our conditioning? You learned it the hard way. I learned it the hard way, dude. Like, (laughs) trust me, I will never make that mistake with somebody. Right. So that that's really always transferred into my working with athletes, and I think one thing that's unique about basketball is they spend a lot more time on their respective court, yeah. And most athletes, yeah. right? Like I've worked at, at high levels, I'm very blessed, right? High levels with NFL fo- level football players, right? They're not running around in the off season crashing into each other,
1: right? right? That's a good point.
0: Soccer too. So- soccer, uh, okay. I'll take that back. But like rugby. AFL, maybe those are the best condition athletes, right? But soccer, they run a ton. You run a ton, but I don't see them running around on a soccer pitch most off seasons, right? right? They'll ramp up, but it's not like basketball where you're constantly kind of on the court. So we get a little lucky. I think we can be a little bit less on point with our conditioning because they do so much specific stuff all the time. Now I'm not saying be a really crappy conditioning coach. That's not what I'm saying, but just know and understand, right? Like, they get a lot of specific conditioning based on playing the sport. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean you can't do a good job of laying a foundation, especially, you know, if you've ever had somebody where conditioning is their weakest link. Right. That's where it's like, okay, now my conditioning better be on point. And I think this is where trying to marry these concepts of, was my coach wrong in trying to develop a conditioning base? No, it was the way that he did it. Yeah. So, Hey man, you need a general aerobic base. Right. It's not, right. it's not just, Hey, let's just go out and, you know, Tabata every day. And, and, and magically we're going to be in shape. You got to develop the base so that when you get to the specific stuff, you've got the aerobic energy system in the background, refueling and replenishing those energy stores. So I think that's something like, this is a great example, like Roy. Yeah. Okay. So when I started with Roy, his conditioning was awful. And he would tell you, that's he's right. like, my conditioning is really, really bad. I want to be able to play 30 plus minutes a game. Cause he'd get tired. He'd foul, then he'd be in foul trouble, and now he's out of the game. Yeah. So we put such a huge emphasis on that. So with him, we're not just starting with, like, explosive stuff first thing in the offseason. It's funny. I still remember this. We would do, like, cardiac output. We'd create circuits. Roy, I need your heart rate to be 120 to 140. Mm-hmm. We're going to go 30 to 45 minutes, and he'd swing a sledgehammer, uh, you know, push the prowler, do the battling ropes. And this is when Vine was a thing. So he always right. put these on Vine. I mean, that's how long yeah, yeah, that's was. that's right. Yes, he was big on Vine. Yeah. So we would do these, and he'd do that a couple of times a week. We do a couple of days of high intensity continuous training, right, yeah. with step ups. Yeah. Hey, all right, now I need your heart rate a little higher. Take a, a you know a step every three to five seconds, and man, in a month we saw a huge difference. And what was cool, we're doing that as he starts getting on the court. He came back and he told me, uh, Paul George told him like when he came to camp that year, he's like, yo, what do you do this summer? Like, you just look fit. Like you oh, look like you're moving better. And I'm like, yo, Paul George sees it. And even uh, Frank, yes. Vogel, who was the coach at the time. Yeah. got to meet Frank and Frank's like, I don't know what you did. You can't make him look any better, but damn, he's in good shape this year. So I was like, <laughs> that's a win, man. Little things like that, that go a long win. way. I,
1: yeah. I love, there's so many, oh my gosh, there's so many great nuggets of what you just uh, just uh threw out there. and And one of them is, If I boil it down, what I take away from what you do. And this is just va- helps me because I, I tend to not be in the either one of those camps that I talked about earlier. I'm not saying go do three miles. And I'm not sort of saying you just get it in the sport. So you don't need to do any of it either. And yeah. there's I guess there's a third po- there's a third camp to your point, which is, yeah, l- we should just do Tabatas, which is anybody that isn't familiar with the term is just, you know, intervals, short intervals of kind of 20 seconds on 10 seconds off and, and until you kind of I want to want to not be there, but, uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but so there's sort of those three camps. And I, I, I am so glad to hear you say this. Cause I'm, I don't see myself in any one of those camps. It's what is the, um, make sure that the application of conditioning that you're going to do is specific, which specific to basketball is starts, stops, and short bursts. Um, but you need an aerobic base to be able to yeah. sort of keep that up because it's a really unique sport with a lot of really unique requisites. So, yeah, you might, what I loved what, that you talked about there was you did it in a sneaky way. It wasn't like, hey, you know, Roy, why don't you go hit the um, treadmill for 45 minutes at 140 oh, on, it. right, exactly. He'd hate it. And he would it hurt, hurt his wouldn't back. Have, like there's no way he'd do it. Exactly. So you found ways to get sneaky on applying that aerob- uh getting that aerobic Base laid down and then Found the days that you wanted to sort of do The high intensity work that mimicked Basketball it was specific To the sport and it was individualized To Roy and what he needed his body Type and that kind of thing and I think that's The answer because the other thing you Have to keep in mind is everything goes in the bucket With these athletes and especially with Basketball you made such a good point on the the Comparison to football it's not like It's not like football athletes are going to Do their weight room stuff and Then in the offseason and then they go out And they do their stuff with their, their team's uh, coach, and then they go work with their skill coach, right? There's just not that many sort of things. And they're doing a lot of hard work, don't get me wrong. But it's not sort of the volume usually of these types of things that now every if you want to play basketball at a high level, you have to do all these things. And so like you said, they're getting a lot of specific conditioning within drills, within practices, within things that skills coaches may or may not even realize sometimes that they're doing for them. But... um I think we just need to think about that of okay yeah for a certain athlete and part of it comes down to what is the coach what does the athlete say that they struggled with um was it the short bursts that you just sort of ran out of uh steam and power with or was it the fact that in the fourth quarter you sort of generally lost steam and you needed a better aerobic base and so how are we applying that is it specific to the individual is it individualized uh is specific specific to the sport and individualized so that 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 is the that's by far the best answer I've got in terms of how do you uh, apply conditioning for basketball because it's a it's a little bit like catching water
0: it, it really is and I think I mean if you're just around the culture right people don't talk about pick up football right pick up, pick up soccer like they just don't and I mean I spent five years working with a professional soccer team here in Indianapolis those dudes aren't going out and knocking the ball around they're right. not trying to get after it in the off season like if they're gonna lift and they'll do the conditioning and the runs that I prescribe for them like there I have to be really locked in. Yep. Because they might not touch a soccer ball for eight weeks, and then next thing you know, they're in preseason. So my conditioning for them is a lot different and a lot more targeted and specific than basketball, where I've just got a little bit more wiggle room because they are doing all of these things in the offseason to get ready for the sport.
1: Totally. Mike, I know we only have you for, for so much time here, and I, I we could go for hours. Uh, w- when you are faced with the idea of that we all are faced with so many basketball athletes and, and parents and or coaches are sort of a lot of times it's the athlete uh, um, and <laughs> uh, who is like, I've, I just got to get my vert up. Yeah. Um, it, talk us through some of the pitfalls that can happen when that becomes the focal point and then talk us through, well, how do, how do we do it though?
0: If, if, yeah. if
1: that is a, a legitimate objective.
0: Yeah. Well, I think one of the biggest issues is when we get so focused on, I use the car analogy all the time. We get so focused on the engine and we forget about the brakes.
1: Mm.
0: I know you've talked about brakes before and mm. decelerations and being able to own that. Yep. And so many people, it's just juice, juice, juice. And right. then they go out and they wonder why their knees hurt, why their yeah. Achilles hurts, why they tore their ACL. Well, yeah, we spent all this time developing your engine, right? We supercharged your engine. You got a Ferrari engine and you got go level brakes. Right. Oh, that, 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 <laughs> well, that's sorry. showing my age too with a go. Maybe a yeah. Kia. you got a Kia, Kia. level brakes. Yeah.
1: Nothing against Kia. Nothing uh, against but, Kia. But uh, so, so can you, I, I love this, and, and I want you to go into specifics on this, of like give us an application of where you might see a little bit of a missed, a gap in a training program where it's super obsessed on the engine and and mm-hmm. they, miss, they miss the preparation for the brakes.
0: Yeah, so... One of the things that I always try and do is like come with some sort of numbers, mm. right? So whether it's a vertec, whatever, and this is where at least for me the force plate has been helpful because, like, I've got one dad in particular, and he's like, "We got to work on explosiveness, got to work right. on explosiveness," <laughs> right. and I respect one? that. Right? You only yes, got one yes. of those. Well, well, one dad. One dad. Every one, kid. That's
1: one that's coming to mind. Yes.
0: Yeah. Uh, and he's like, "Got to work on explosiveness." And if you look at like the raw performance numbers pretty good. Like really pretty good. Like as a high school, a sophomore in high school, I'm like, yo, this kid's got some juice. Yeah. But if you dig deeper, right. Little things like time to take off, Mm. uh, little things like being, uh, you know, able to transition quickly. That's a different story, right? Like that's not just, I need to jump higher. That makes more sense. Now that's like, oh no, I can't get off the ground quickly. I'm too slow when I come into or out of a cut. Like that's a different thing that I need to chase. Right. So really trying to have some of these good conversations of it's not just, I need more vert explosiveness, right? What do you mean by that? What mm-hmm. does that mean to you? Is that jumping higher vertically? Is it off one leg? Is it off two legs? Is it being able to stop? Is it being able to get a step back and create separation? Like getting really clear on what they want, I think is part of it. Yeah. Yeah. The second piece is the education side, because I've never, or very rarely do I see somebody that jumps crazy high that doesn't have pretty good brakes. So I'll always come at it from that other side first of, hey, look, a lot of times when we train the eccentric, the isometric, when we teach you to stop quickly and then rebound, those things go up. Mm. So I will kind of explain it like, hey, look, it's, I'll use that same car analogy yeah. If you're not, if you're not focused on both sides of this, if you're not focused on the engine and the brakes, you're not going to get the result that you want.
1: Yeah, yeah. So That's I so really good.
0: try and hone in on that and help them understand. Like we're not talking about different things. Yeah, they're two yeah. sides of the same coin, and we have to address both of them if we want to see the best possible result.
2: Right, and is it maybe getting over that the visual aspect of it, where the dad thinks? Well, I'd better come in and see that kid jumping on a higher box next week than this week. You know, I want to. Of course. Why is that guy on the other side, you know, that pro player stacking up two big ones and you know getting maybe even getting that third little one on top, and my kids stuck doing these, you know, repetitive longer things? Or so is it partly that overcoming that
0: objection? Uh, Absolutely. We talk about the look test, right? Mm -hmm. And the look test is when they take their shirt off, right? What kind of weights are they using? Uh, What box are they jumping on to? There are times where you have to play the game a little bit as a coach and throw them a bone and maybe say, Oh, Hey, by the way, look what Johnny did today. He wasn't doing that last month. So I think there is an element of that, but it's, it's just like when you have the conversation with the athlete, like there's a give and a take the same thing when a parent's involved. And it's like, look, I, I understand. It's like empathizing. I know what you want to get out of this. I'm also, your trusted expert. You're coming to me to try and help you. So let's work together on this. And and I think part of it too is just helping them understand and see your long term vision. Mm. I mean, everybody wants it right now, right? Like, oh, he he was just here last week. Why isn't he jumping higher in two right. seconds? No, it, it takes time. And so, like in this specific example, I tried to explain to the dad look, uh, there's some specific things we're chasing with like uh eccentric and decelerations, right? I'm gonna try and bring this number down so he drops faster so we get a stronger plyometric action. It's gonna look ugly for a month. Like setting the expectation of, this isn't gonna look the way that you want for four to six weeks. But when it starts to click, it's gonna come together. So sometimes it's it's not just doing what you want and hoping that they know, it's like setting the expectation, explaining the long-term vision so you can say, hey, look, it's not gonna look great for this little bit of time, But as these pieces start to come together, that's when you're going to see a change.
1: Yeah, that's so good. I'm glad you brought that up about setting the expectations because it it is such a big part of it. If you do that part of it and the person on the other side is reasonable, then you will have a slightly, hopefully less steep climb in the middle as you're trying to figure it out. I, I also think that. It's um, it kind of gets there's a lot of noise out there, programs that say, oh, five inches in 60 days and all this stuff. And look, I'm not saying those programs aren't going to do that. But what's what is the cost? Right. So what are the things like I guarantee you, those programs are not working on ankle mobility and loading the Achilles and making sure that we're getting those patellar and quad tendons prepared for all the loads that they're just they are solely focused on the exercises that and in the type of thing that i see are things like okay we're fast forwarding a kid who has no business to do and this is a hot topic in across the industry right now of you know should we or shouldn't we be doing depth drop uh, jumps and and things like that where how much force is really necessary and and yes it can have a there are things there are training applications that can have a yeah. really nice effect on the adaptation and create an effect on the body and performance that may not long-term be durability focused first, I guess is where I'm getting at. And when you start making those uh, sacrifices for vertical over durability. This is where you start saying, well, why not do I, w- like you said, I want to walk this through and the dad isn't sort of oohed and awed by you doing snap down or, or drop squat. I mean, type right. exercises where you just are standing on the floor and just seemingly punching the ground with your feet. He, right. he wants to see what JJ Watt did and jump up and, or jump from or yeah. up onto the 40 some inch boxes and that kind of thing. But, you know, this is the the trade-off, right? This is how we do this through a lens of durability and then ultimately get the performance with a foundation of durability.
0: Yeah, so I'm sure you know this and you've thought of this, but like think about where J.J. Watt was at developmentally when he did that.
1: Right. Right,
0: <laughs> like, like versus the high school or maybe the young college kid and everybody's in their ear, they got to jump higher. Or, you know, another one that we had talked about kind of I think before the show was like, oh, they got to get 10, 15 pounds on. Yes. Like, like, let's let's come full circle on this. Think about in the NBA, because there was a rash of, like, foot injuries right. there for a while, right? With right. guys that are undersized. Oh, yep. I put on 30 pounds this offseason. Next right. thing you know, they break their foot because their load, their body's not adapted to dealing with those loads and those forces with 30 extra pounds on their frame. So, I always try and explain to people... And I'm sure I've lost people because of this. Right. And I'm just okay with it at this point in my career. But it's like, look, this is a long-term development game. Yep. If you're 14 and your best year of basketball is when you're 15, then I failed you. Right. (laughs) You know, Literally. Like if your best year is when you're 15, I failed you. I want your best years to be, you know, when you're in college, if that's the level you're at, when you're a pro, like this is a long-term game. It's not, what can we do in six weeks? And Again, I think you know this as well, but like the person that wants the six week program, they're not going to be a great fit for me. So let's just have that conversation up front. I'll send you down the road and you'll find somebody that's willing to sell you that. But if you're with me, it's a long term game. And that's how we're going to really get the most out of your playing career.
1: Talk to him. That is so beautiful. i I want to respect your time because i I seriously could just keep on going here and and yeah, me too. just. <laughs> mean, Obviously. It, it just means we're uh, we're headed. We're destined for a part two here, but yes. um, uh, this is the basketball strong podcast, and uh, the final question is very simple. I cannot wait for your answer. You can answer this from your gut, from your heart, wherever it feels more technical or more spiritual in nature. What does it mean to you, Mike, to be basketball strong?
0: Man, I, I think I just had this discussion with an athlete the other day because I think young guy, you know, college level athlete, good, like good start to his career, right? Like mm. he, he can do some things and I think he had felt maybe a little disenfranchised With just strength and conditioning as a whole, right? You know, like the proverbial trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, and so kind of hard to have some of these deeper level conversations, session one or two. But I just told him, like, look, I don't know what you've done before, you know, I don't know like what what's worked, what hasn't. I'm going to try and figure that out. But for me, I want you to be basketball strong, right? Not powerlifter strong, not world's strongest man strong. There's a certain level of strength you need to be successful on a court. It's my job to help you get there. But more importantly, it's using that strength to be more durable, to be more explosive so we can get the most out of your career. So it's not a certain physique. It's not a certain look. Uh, It's not certain numbers that you put up on the weight room wall. It's being strong and confident and feeling great in your own skin when you're on the court. So, I mean, I think that's what basketball strong means to me is just being your best version of yourself every time you step on the court.
1: Nobody knows better than you. And after listening to this, if, if any listeners aren't able to help people or, or become themselves more basketball strong, then they better go back and replay and, and get the pen and paper out and take more notes because this was just absolutely phenomenal. Thank you so much, Mike. Where, where, where can people check in, learn from you, see what you're doing, and, and, and continue to
0: follow along? Yeah. I think the easiest place is Robertson training systems.com. I mean, look, it's all there. <laughs> I've written articles yeah. since like 2003. I've had a podcast for like six, seven years now. I mean, thousands of article or thousands of, of videos on YouTube. So whichever platform you like written audio, video it's out there. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's just, you could go there every day and probably pick out a new piece of content and get something for free. So robertsontrainingsystems.com is the best place to start. It's got all my socials and everything there too.
1: So good. And the name of the podcast, I know you'll find it on the website, but just uh, while we're here.
0: Yep. The physical preparation podcast.
1: Oh man, I I love that one. It's uh, it's it's on my plus subscribed and and I uh, can't wait. Usually thanks, for every uh, every episode as it comes out because um, as uh, as we now know, you you bring the fire. So thanks so much.
0: My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's show, and we hope you did please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen to podcasts on. And so you never miss a weekly episode, be sure to subscribe and follow. You can find previous episodes on our show website. That's www.basketballstrongpodcast.com. For more basketball performance resources and nagging injury solutions, follow me on Instagram at tdathletesedge and follow Phil at Phil White Books. Until next week's episode, stay basketball strong.